You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Open Concessions podcast presented by Toyota, featuring a weekly in-depth conversation with a Cubs-related personality. We are your hosts. I'm Len Casper alongside Jim Deshaies. You may know us as the Cubs television tandem. J.D., we've had a few weeks off to recover after a 60-game pandemic sprint. How are you? I'm doing fine, Len. Yeah, it's good to be back in the saddle. I have an opportunity to catch up and talk a little ball and uh, otherwise. But uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Definitely uh, have enjoyed a little uh, R&R. Uh, Cubs season ended, uh, postseason run ended a lot uh, sooner than we had anticipated. We can talk more about that a little later. But uh, our guest today is a really interesting guy, uh, former Cub Matt Caesar, who uh, is not yet done with his big league career. That's uh, his goal is to to get back to the big league level. Uh, he's uh, been with a, a few different organizations since he was a Cub, but uh, we enjoyed getting to know Matt uh, on and off the field when he was here. And uh, he's not just a one-dimensional guy by uh, any stretch. No, no, not at all. He was a standout football player at Villanova. He was an All-American. Uh, I think he had a, you know, the ability to possibly play in the NFL. He's, he's an artist, and uh, he's really ramped up his, his artwork here lately. So, um, yeah, he is uh, he, he's a, a versatile guy, both on the field and off the field. So enjoy our conversation with a former Chicago Cubs outfielder, Matt Caesar. Uh, Matt, uh, long time no speak. Uh, great to catch up with you. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, time flies, doesn't it? This week, it's the uh, fourth anniversary of uh, the Cubs' 2016 World Series championship. And JD can chime in at, at one point too. Um, texting with some friends. It's the. Does it feel 20 years ago or just yesterday? Uh, the Cubs won the World Series. I tend to kind of feel like it feels like just yesterday, but a lot of people I talk to feels like a lifetime ago. Where Where do you sit on that uh, spectrum? <laughs> You know, to be completely honest, if I could sit on both sides of the spectrum, I, I could. You know, I, I feel like it's been so long ago, but on the other side, I can feel like I literally remember everything that happened and it feels like it was yesterday. So, I mean, you guys were a part of it. It was such a great memory. Um, you know, it's actually after the Dodgers won the World Series, I... Uh, I keep my ring in a lockbox at a bank. So, you know, when I'm going for the season, if anybody, God forbid, breaks into my house, uh, I don't want them to, to swipe that. Um, so as soon as the Dodgers won the World Series, I actually went to the bank and grabbed my ring out just so I could look at it. And it brought back some great memories. For sure. JD, where are you on this? Yeah, I'm kind of with Matt. It, it, it's weird. It, it feels like a long time ago, but, but at times it feels like it was yesterday. And I think um, maybe some of that is just because everything feels weird in 2020, you know, with the, <laughs> yeah. with the pandemic and the, 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 you know, time just feels off. Um, but, but I, do, I think it speaks to how quickly things change in, in our game. I mean, it, you know, boom, you win a world series and were, Hey, we're going to win another one and it's going to be real easy. And it's not, it's not easy. You know, all us talk about repeating and building dynasties. Um, it's really tough to pull off, but yeah, I'm I'm with Matt. It feels uh, at times it feels like a long, long time ago, and uh, other ways it feels like it was, it was just yesterday. So we'll go back uh, and reminisce a little bit uh, about your Cubs career uh, a little later. But let's let's get Cubs fans up to date on uh, your status. Uh, you've added to your family, which is the number one uh, priority. Uh, so so tell us about Matt Jr. Yeah, so he was uh, actually born January 1st, and he was the first in the hospital um, in Cape May, Cape May County, New Jersey, South Jersey. So that was that was pretty cool. He was, he's kind of a 
born first, so he's got big expectations. <laughs> um, and then other than that, this year I kind of was uh, with the Phillies in spring and was battling some injuries. Um, when the pandemic happened, uh, I continued to kind of like rehab and then uh, was released by the Phillies, ended up finding out that I needed surgery. And it all kind of happened around the right time because, uh, you know, on, on kind of like a little sad note, uh, you know, obviously both my or my my father had cancer and he kind of still battles through that. Um, he does chemo once every three weeks. And then we had found out my mom had cancer, too. So oh. it, it was just uh, it was really uh, a good timing for me to kind of be home, get healthy and and really be with my family because, you know, it was tough. Uh, you know, I was running my mom up once every every two weeks for her chemo treatments and then helped my dad with, uh, with his chemo treatments as well. So we kind of grinded and battled that together. And like I said, it was, uh, it was kind of, um, a godsend to, to be home with them and, and be very supportive, you know? Yeah, that, wow. Uh, that, that, that's a lot. And, um, I, I can't even imagine, you know, if you had to decide, you know, if you were healthy, whether you would have played or not, I'm guessing you would have considered opting out. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, I feel like once we kind of got the, pretty much got it under control with, with like my parents and helping them out, um, it would have been tough, you know, obviously was, I wanted to be there for them and, and it was just so much easier for me to be home and, and with the baby and the family, it was just, you know, I, I would have probably ended up op- opting out just to, to be with them and, and support them and help them. So your parents are close by? Yeah, they're actually right down the street. And, and uh, you know, my, my mom is now cancer free. She uh, went through her chemo treatments and it knocked out uh, cancer completely. Um, she goes for checkups like every two or three weeks, just kind of for like maintenance. And then, you know, my dad is doing great. He's kind of mastered uh, the chemo treatments, you know, as you know, as tough as that is, uh, you know, he goes once every three weeks and he'll probably be doing that for the rest of his life. But you know, he's been doing great. He works out. He eats healthy. So, um, you know, all's, all's pretty good. Wow, that's good news. That's good news. I, I wanted to follow up on on just, you know, the pandemic stuff and, and, you know, people getting treated for COVID. But, you know, you have a very real life situation where it's it's cancer treatments and, you know, unrelated to the pandemic. But um, I'm, I'm guessing just the protocols themselves for your parents and making sure that, you know, they, they, they stay healthy in terms of, of not getting the virus and then going through their treatments. Uh, that's a lot to handle. And I think it's kind of the underlying health question of, of the year, isn't it? Of making sure that people who have other health issues that are very serious get, get taken care of. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, you know, that's the, the big part of the, of the pandemic and COVID and coronaviruses, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, getting it yourself, but, you know, spreading it. And, and, you know, it has taken out younger athletic, um, you know, people as well. So it's, it's tough. And, and, you know, I was kind of a, a psycho with not seeing anybody and, and staying quarantined. And, you know, my wife has been an absolute champ because all we've, all we've seen is, is really honestly, um, you know, our, my parents, my brother and her family and, and the in-laws, you know, so, you know, we've done a really great job. We, it's, we order all of our, all of our groceries They get delivered. You know, it's, we've been super careful on everything and it's, and it's been hard and it's, you know, it's kind of a pain, but it's, it's definitely worth it to, to keep everybody healthy. What did you think of the season uh, overall and, and how uh, Major League Baseball got through 60 games and then an entire postseason? Yeah, you know, I feel like once uh, once they got started, I knew that it was going to take a lot for them to shut it down. Um, and you know, obviously, with not having a team this year, I I rooted for the Cubs because I, I still have a lot of players and a lot of friends on that team. So it was it, it was really really cool to see them and how they handled it, you know. And and all those guys are are such pros. So you, so you knew if if any team was going to do it and handle it correctly, it was going to be them. If you were to have a handicapped um, Major League Baseball getting through a 60-game season and a postseason when it all started, what kind of odds would you have given it? Uh, I mean, like I said, when, once it got started, it was almost, for me, you know, a guarantee that they were going to finish it out. Um, you know, it's it was kind of scary early on when Miami kind of went through all that. Um, 
But once it got going, and I, I feel like everybody was kind of realized, like uh, I think Cleveland kind of suspended two of their guys, two of their pitchers who went out in, in Chicago. So I feel like once the kind of the rest of the league saw that and saw how serious it was, they uh, they really figured it out and did did a really excellent job on on everything, you know. And it was it was, it was pretty cool to see, you know. It was a, it was a sprint of a, a season, and you know, obviously, I kept up with everybody, and and it was uh, it was great to watch. Hey, J.D., I think Matt makes a good point. Uh, in, in a weird way, the early issues that Major League Baseball had to deal with probably ultimately were a benefit because they were able to get on top of it, right? I think so. And, I, I, you know, we talked about Tommy Hotovies. Um, you know, when yeah. He, he, he came down with it. And, uh, you know, he met, he talked to the players when he first reported to, you know, summer camp. And um, at the time, I thought, you know, every major league club should be recording a, an interview with Tommy Hadovy that he can present to their players to tell how, how devastating that illness can be. And, and the fact that he, you know, did everything right and still managed to, to catch the disease. So, so I think, yeah, Hadovy's story, uh, the early issues that the, the Marlins and a couple other clubs had to deal with, I think, served as a, a real good, uh, if not a wake up call, just a reminder uh, to players how serious things were. And then I think there's a whole, um, the esprit de corps thing, right, Matt, where, uh, you know, players are trying to accomplish something together. So, you know, I'm doing it for you, you're doing it for me kind of becomes the mindset. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, as a person, as a, as a player, it's, it's kind of hard to control what other players do. And I feel like that's why a lot of the guys were, were nervous at first, just to, just to play because they, they had no control. And, and uh, you know, if, if we weren't in a bubble, there was no control over, you know, a teammate and, and who they were bringing to their house or, or who they were going to see. So I feel like that was the scary part to, to a lot of players at first. When you talk to, to friends in the game and, and your agent, and what's the general mindset right now about where we're headed, kind of big picture, small big picture, right? Uh, 2021, 2022, getting through the pandemic, the economic uh, aspects. What, what's your sense of where everybody is mentally right now? Yeah, I don't know. You know, obviously, I think they're going to, you know, have another season for sure. That there's, there's no question in my mind about that. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a matter of, you know, what are they going to do about spring training? Um, you know, my wife actually brought it up to me yesterday. Cause she does more uh, MLB trade rumors or reading than I do. I just kind of <laughs> go out there and play. So she, you know, she kind of said to me that there might not be another minor league season and they might do a, um, a site for all these guys to go to and AAA and big leagues. And, you know, I just kind of go out there and play. I don't really, you know, listen or, or read anything too much into it, but you know, it makes a good point. You know, well, what are they going to do? Um, I feel like minor league, affiliates survive on fans and if fans can't go to the game we can't get the the virus under control then i don't i don't really know what they're going to do I, I think they're going to probably do like a, a a site for you know minor league guys as and you know be able to pretty much pick out of a pool um but i haven't really talked to my agent about it or any players you know it's, it's the end of the season everybody's kind of winding down so i i feel like i'll, I'll get in uh conversations with my agent here soon though did you have an opportunity to talk to any players who uh, went through the alternate site thing for the whole deal and you know, what what that experience was like? Uh, to be completely honest with you, I, I didn't really speak to anybody aside. Uh, I feel like uh, I spoke to Phil Gosselin a little bit, who's with the Phillies, and I spoke to you know Jason Hayward probably once a week and. You know, like I said, I, I knew I knew the Cubs were were completely pro about everything. Um, so, you know, that wasn't a worry to Jason or or me. You know, as far as the you know Cubs going down. Um, but as far as you know, talking to Phil with the Phillies, he, he said everything was was run super pro, and and uh, you know, I, I feel like that's that's the understanding of you know everybody throughout the league, and and I think that's going to continue throughout this this next season. So let's uh, let's. Do a little bit of the Wayback Machine. Not that far back. August 17th, 2014, City Field in New York. You made your big league debut. What do you, what do you remember about that day? Um, I, remember, I remember being on the bus and Chris Coughlin saying, man, your, your pocket's going to be empty after all the, all the tickets you're going to get in New York. <laughs> because he, he knew I'm from, I'm from New Jersey. Um, but... 
I mean, as far as that, I remember, you know, being out there with Hinsky on the field um, pregame, you know, he was hitting me ground balls in the outfield. And, uh, you know, it was it was just kind of a, a sight to take in. You know, I remember, I don't I think I was, I, I don't think I had my first hit. No, I had my first hit Wrigley. But I remember, you know, getting my first start there, you know, it was amazing. You know, it was, it was, um, be, it was being close to home. I think there was 50 people there for me. It was It was pretty cool to see everybody. And it goes fast, doesn't it? As as JD said earlier, um, you know that that 2014 team uh, struggled, but you could already kind of see the makings uh, of a of a really good club. And then the next two years, the Cubs were arguably the best team uh, in baseball. Uh, did, did did you see it happening? And what was your perspective as you're trying to not only get your foot in uh but but you know establish yourself at the big league level but just kind of the way the organization pretty quickly became this juggernaut yeah i mean uh if you think about it i kind of i've kind of seen them at the lowest and and the highest you know i was there with jim hendry and uh that 2014 season when when we weren't very good you know i was drafted in 2010 so i kind of went through the system with um you know with not low expectations, but, you know, it was always the lovable losers, you know, and, that, and as far as I can remember, that, that's what it was. Um, but I feel like in 2015, when, when Lester and Rossi got there, there was, a, there was a change in the clubhouse for sure. And it was, it was uh, you know, for whatever reason, it was just like a winning mentality. And I remember going into that 2016 season and, and not thinking we were ever going to lose a game. You know, it was it was really impressive to be in that in that clubhouse. And when we lost, you know, no, not that nobody cared, but it was like, you know, who cares? We're going to beat them tomorrow. So that was uh, that was a really cool feeling to have. And, I, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to feel that at the big league level. So it was, you know, 2006 was a heck of a ride. And, you know, I'll, I'll never, ever forget those guys or, or that season for sure. In terms of 2016, and I've heard this from other uh, former players on World Series champions, the idea that if you lose today or if you lose four in a row, it's like, eh, we're fine. What 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 is the common thread uh, of a of a championship caliber club? Because everyone's trying to grab that thing. Um, you know, I keep hearing the name Ben Zobrist uh, and how important he was in 2016, and there are a lot of names on that list. But is there a couple of things that kind of stand out to you other than just that that mentality of you know you're good yeah I mean we went into that spring training and uh you know we we go and, and we talk with Ken visit and uh and Joe you know kind of right out the gate right at the beginning of of spring training and and we kind of had a you know as an offensive standpoint as a team standpoint it was a nine-on-one mentality you know as hitters and and you know position players so I feel like we always kind of embrace that as as more of a team aspect than than just a, uh, you know, selfish aspect. So that, that was, you know, kind of one of the things that stand out to me. And, you know, I, I really think that David Ross really was the leader of that team. And when 2017 hit and, and I was there early on, I, I really think the difference maker was not having him in the clubhouse. So when I, when I saw that they hired him as a manager, you know, I thought that was probably the, the absolute best thing they can do if, if they want to continue to win because you know, he was, he's just a winner and, you know, it's plain and simple. He's, he's gonna, he's gonna hold everybody accountable and he's going to be a player's manager and he just wants to win. And, and I think that he was kind of the missing piece for sure. in that 17 season. I got a two-parter for you, Matt. Um, one circle back, you mentioned Ken Revisa, the uh, mental skills coach. Um, I'm not sure exactly what Kenny's uh, title was then. Uh, and, and, you know, anything specific from him, anything he said or did or, or kind of grayed out his impact on the club. And then part two is a completely different direction, I guess. But um, a player on that club that's probably uh, that maybe in your estimation is underappreciated that had a greater impact than maybe fans realize. Yeah, I mean, Ken Revisa, you know, he was he was amazing. Um, he always had great info for us, no matter what it was. You know, I, you know, I spoke to him a lot in, in 15 and 16 because I feel like I was, uh, was kind of on the bubble. You know, I was playing really well. I wanted to play more. And, you know, he kind of helped me get through that, you know, talking to Hinsky, you know, more or less embracing, embracing my position and doing the best of my position as I could. 
you know, because I was a bench guy, came in as a defense replacement, but you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to win and and that's that's what he kind of helped me get through. Um kind of embrace my position. So that was that was big for me, you know, because all through, you know, grade school, high school, you know, college, professional baseball, I've always been you know, one of the best, always made all the all-star teams. And it was kind of, uh, I'm sure a ton of people go through this, you know, it's kind of a shock when you get to the big leagues and there's a lot of people that are, that are really good and they're all the same, you know? So I feel like he kind of helped me embrace my position and, uh, kind of get through those, those mental, um, battles I'd have with myself. And, you know, I, I feel like once I did that, I, I took off and, and ended up really, really helping the team out and embracing that position. Um, as far as, uh, you're saying a, a player, yeah, that, a player you know, that maybe is underappreciated from that club. Hmm, I have to think about that one. Um, How about Mooney Kawasaki? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. He was so much fun. He wasn't there yeah. a long time, but man, was he a joy. Yeah, there's there's so many there's so many people that contributed. I mean, I think even Ryan Kalish was there in 2016. You're right. You know, so I feel like there's there's so many guys that came up and, and came up and, and and huge times in the game. So it was it was it was a huge team effort. And, and you know, once once everybody uh, contributes and, and you can you can see everybody's either your number one on the team or 25 on the team. Everybody just wanted to win. And that that was a huge mentality in that that 2016 team. That's great. Uh, all right. Let's talk about your bat. That was a big storyline in the postseason, and it was uh, because Anthony Rizzo used your bat. Give us the backstory. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I feel like when he would struggle during the season, he always would grab my bat because it was a little lighter and a little shorter, so it helped him stay short on the ball and and helped him get to the fastball. So I feel like when it happened in the playoffs, he was like, "See, I gotta, I'm struggling right now. I just gotta go for it." So. <laughs> He ended up swiping the bat, and I, I don't know. I think he hit a, a double and a homer that game against Kershaw, if I if I can remember correctly. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, I feel like ever since then he kept using it. He used the same one throughout the whole time, never broke it, and I uh, signed it and gave it to me at the end. So it was pretty cool. I'm surprised there's not a Twitter feed out there. Matt Caesar's bat. There maybe there you was back then, right? Yeah, I think it was trending back then for a little bit, which was cool. You know, I got a little press. Well, that that's the thing. When you win a World Series and you're a Chicago Cub and all that surrounded it, the, I think at the time you even kind of chuckled like, you know, teammate borrowed my bat. But those are the things of legend, right? Those are the things yeah. decades later yeah. fans will ask you about because it was part of such a an historic run. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't begin to tell you how many how many uh, photos that I signed. Um, <laughs> It was the bat or, or whatever when they wanted me to write, you know, which is, which is pretty cool. You know, it is, what it is it is what it is. That's right. And you hit a big grand slam that year, I recall. Yeah. Yep. Um, against the Braves. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, I remember the wind was blowing in. It was kind of like a, a dark day out, rainy. And I could, I just, all I knew was that I needed to get the ball in the air because I needed to score whoever was on third base. I think it might have been Zobris or Hayward. Um, and I couldn't believe that it that it kept going. I was like, "Dang, man, this is this is pretty cool." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was uh, that was one of the the highlights of my career for sure. So we got to talk some football. Uh, you had a great career at Villanova. Uh, I'm sure you still follow the game pretty closely. Um, yeah. Could you have made it? Could you could you have been an NFL guy? Well, a lot of people think yes. Yeah, I mean, I. I think for sure, um, you know, I was slotted to get drafted in the third round. So I, I think, uh, I think I would have been fine. Um, but the, the worry man is always, uh, always getting injured. You know, it's, it's a tough sport, man. And I feel like where I played as a, you know, as a wide receiver, slot guy, kick returner, punt returner, those guys don't really last long. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to, to be able to choose between baseball or football. You know, I think I made the right decision. Um, do I miss it? Yeah, of course. But, you know, if I was playing football, I'd miss baseball too. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I wish I could split myself in half and, and give my uh, <laughs> myself to both sports, but I can't do that. At, at any point along the way in your baseball career, did you go, I wish I would have given football a shot? I, so in double-A, 
we were in Tennessee Smokies and it was like mid-August and we're, you know, you're sweating, so humid and hot. Had a day game with, you know, a thousand kids screaming SpongeBob. And <laughs> they had, uh, I don't know if you remember the name. And he played for the Bears for a little bit. His name is Mark Mariani. Mm-hmm. And he, he played against us in the national championship game in 2009. And I won the MVP that game. And I thought I was just as good or, or better than him um, for sure. And he was an all-pro kick returner that year, a punt returner. And he came and did like a, a speech before to the kids in this Titans jersey. And I kind of just shook my head. I was like, dang, man, this kid's just balling out playing football. And I'm <laughs> slumming in Tennessee right now. And that, and that was like the only time I've ever thought about it, you know. And, and after that, it was like, you know, a pity party for about 10 minutes. And I was fine. <laughs> so who, who, who would be the who would be the NFL comp? Uh, like a Danny Amendola or Edelman? Is that that would be your game? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Edelman might be a year older than me, um, but they they compared me a lot to Wes Welker. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a little, little uh, slot receiver, shifty. So that's that's where I think I'd have been at. But like I said, you know, I got I was hurt my senior year. I um, had two high ankle sprains on one play, and I feel like that kind of you know little light bulb for me and um i was like dang it was it was such a it was such a just a regular tackle and i got up and i could barely walk and i was like dang this is <laughs> i was out seven weeks for that so um that was kind of a light bulb and and uh kind of a realization that you know maybe it wasn't the smartest thing to do yeah we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh a, a, another former cub with a similar background and a, a name that i can spell uh, I, I might put JD on the spot. I don't know. Can you spell Samarja, uh, JD? But um... uh, Samarja and T-shirt—they would be the bonus on the spelling test, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you guys are kindred spirits, I know, with the football background. Jeff, Jeff's great. Love that guy. Yeah, I was able to actually when I was when I was there early on those uh, Jim Hendry years, I was able to to talk to him about it a little bit, and, and he—I mean, he was super great. You know, we we were always kept in touch throughout um, the years after that. We went to Oakland and the Niners, so it was it was pretty cool. We we had some battles, and when I was with San Diego, so that was fun. What about the football mentality? Uh, I you know I I can't sit here and say if I watched Jeff Samarja pitch and knew nothing about his background that that he had a football background but when you get to know him of course he's a football player and i do think that's a big reason why uh he's had success uh in baseball do do you feel that your football background has helped you uh in this sport yeah for sure um you know because because football is is a different kind of set of training you just kind of push yourself to the limits and i and i feel like that's kind of helped me a little bit uh, for sure. But, uh, you know, to a certain extent, it, it might have may have hurt me a little bit, too, you know, just as far as, you know, taking a million swings in the cage and, and um, you know, just just kind of overdoing it at, at, at certain points. But, you know, I think it's definitely helped me in the mentality of, you know, just trying to get better every day. Toyota-thon is on, and there are great deals on your favorite Toyota models, such as RAV4, Highlander, Camry, Corolla, Tundra, Tacoma, and more. That's right, Toyota-thon is on. And did I mention every new Toyota comes with Toyota Care, their two-year or 25,000-mile maintenance plan. Visit toyota.com for details and get into your local Chicagoland Toyota dealer today. Current offers end November 30th. Toyotathon ends January 4th. Toyota Care covers normal factory scheduled service for two years or 25,000 miles, whichever occurs first. See your participating dealer for details. And you should get on the Cubs season ticket holder wait list. Family and friends have been signing up, some waiting years for their chance to become a season ticket holder. Go to Cubs.com slash waitlist for more information. Cub fans can secure their spot in our lineup for season tickets by joining the Cubs season ticket holder waiting list. No cost to sign up. That's right. It's free. And when Cubs season tickets become available, they will be offered to members of the Cubs season ticket holder 
waiting list. Once you've signed up, we'll send you emails periodically to let you know your waitlist number. We're bouncing around here a little bit with uh, Matt Caesar, the uh, former Cub. Uh, so let's go back now over uh, a decade, I want to say 2009. And uh, we, we talked earlier on the podcast about your parents uh, going through cancer treatment. Uh, but the story a lot of people know about is um, donating uh, bone marrow to a, uh, a young girl in Ukraine who had yeah. leukemia. Tell us about that story in the, in the background. So as a freshman um, at Villanova, we always um, we had to gather as many people as possible to test for for um, these bone marrow registries, and and we started them with Coach Tally. Coach Tally was at that time was doing it for fifteen years. It's called like uh, called getting the game, and and he still does it to this day, man. He he's great. He goes to a bunch of different colleges across the country and tries to have them, you know, hold their own bone marrow registries and, uh, and donor programs. So it's pretty cool. Um, so after we rounded up as many people as possible on campus, just to do, uh, it's really easy to, to register. You just do these four cheek swabs and you send the kit back in. Um, and you can actually do it online now. It's super easy. Um, so after we rounded up as many people as possible, all the, all the incoming freshmen, we all, uh, tested as well. And then three years later, I got called to donate. So the, the process is, you know, you get called, you're matched up with, with this little girl, but she also has other matches. So you donate blood or you give blood. They see who's, the, who's like the best match out of like 10 people, I think it was. And that was probably a week, two weeks. Um, and then I got, got the call again that, you know, I, I was the best match with this little girl and that I was going to donate. Um, so I ended up. I was actually supposed to donate during football season in the playoffs. And, you know, I went to Coach Tally and I said, you know, I just got called to donate. Um, perfect match with this little girl and I'm going to do it. And he kind of looked at me and like, you know, was super happy, but, you know, he shook his head. He's like, all right, you know, um, we have the playoffs, but I know the type of guy you are and, and I support you 100%. And I feel like for whatever reason, um, I got a call like, three or four days later and the the little girl couldn't accept the bone marrow right now. I think she was kind of going through some rough patches. So it got pushed back and, you know, ended up being the MVP 2009 national championship. We ended up winning. So that was, that was pretty cool how, how it came about. Um, so then at the end of uh, football season went through nothing. And then in baseball season, my junior year, the same season, um, the same year, I got called to do it again and I ended up missing. So I donated. It's super easy, super simple. A lot of people, you know, are very fearful of it. Actually, they'll 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 join the registry and then when they get called, they uh they won't donate because they think it hurts. And there's two procedures. One is a stem cell procedure, is which which I did. Um they put a needle in one arm, they take out your blood, they filter it through a machine uh to get out as many white blood cells as possible. And then they have a needle in the other arm too, and they put the blood back in. And that's just, you know, the, the only hurt part of that is the needle going in your arm for, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's the exact same as donating blood. And then the other procedure is through the hip, but that, you know, you get anesthesia, they put you to sleep. So you wake up and you're a little sore, but it's, it's nothing crazy at all. So that's, I mean, that's, that's like a misconception of donating bone marrow. And a lot, like I said, a lot of people don't do it because they think it hurts. So after I donated, I found out a month later or a year later who it was too. And, and, you know, that's when they did the E60, you know, so it was, mm -hmm. it was a pretty cool process to see. And, you know, um, the little girl is, I think she's 14 now and it's social media is super easy to uh, keep connected. So it's, it's kind of great to see her, see her grow up. It's pretty cool. Is she still in Ukraine? So, yeah, this is another crazy part. You know, there was, uh, I guess, you know, little wars that were going on in Ukraine at the time. So they had to, you know, not only, you know, fight for their daughter's life, but they were kind of fighting for their life. They, uh, they went to Israel as um, uh, refugees, and that's when they, they found another doctor for the bone marrow uh, transplant. So they went to Israel, they, they got healthy, they got her healthy, and then um, they kind of bounced around um, from there. You know, now I think they're in France and they're trying to come to Canada and eventually uh, they want to either be in America or stay in Canada. So it's it's pretty cool to see. It stinks. You know, they've been going through a lot of stuff, but they're they're all they're all doing great right now. 
speaking of which, have you done much international travel in your life in the off season? Um, you know, we went to Bora Bora for our honeymoon. Mm. But other than that, you know, we've we've kind of just stayed around here, man. We're uh, I guess we're hermits a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going anywhere these days. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, for 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 me, it's like the season ends, and the last thing you want to do is jump, jump on a plane again. Right. But uh, yeah. yeah, I would I would like to see uh, more of the world for sure. Well, you've got a you've got a lot of lot of time, and uh, you've got a young child. You'll 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 get to, uh, to see as much of the world as you want. Um, let's talk art now. Uh, okay. So many facets, Matt. We we've got a million different directions uh, we can go with you. Um, when did it all start? When did you realize that you you had an artist's eye and and the skill to 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 paint things? Um, you know, I've, I've always done it. Uh, I've always kind of followed my dad. Um, he as like, you know, not, not necessarily a side hustle, but maybe a hobby to kind of get away from work. He would always come home and, you know, either sketch on a sketch pad or, you know, he did a lot of carving. Um, he made a ton of like fishing lures. Um, so we, we were always kind of like at his side, watched him do things. So, I, you know, throughout grade school and high school, I've always, you know, had an interest in art. And then in college, you know, I took a bunch of classes. It wasn't my major, but, you know, I, like I said, I'm always fascinated in it. So I tried to learn as much as possible, um, you know. And then when we, uh, that 2016 year when we won the World Series, my wife and I, we started a foundation to raise awareness for bone marrow and, and do, uh, like, join the bone marrow registry and, and raise money for people uh, local that were in need, you know, whether it be, you know, food or you know, Christmas presents, Thanksgiving, whatever, you know, we started our foundation and I was trying to think of ways to, to raise money and have, you know, gift ideas, um, you know, for the event. So I did, you know, two self portraits, one of me in a baseball uniform and one of me in a football uniform, and they both sold for $500. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I didn't think anything of it after that. Um, Tommy Listell actually asked me to do a painting for him. So he was, he was like the first first person who, uh, who I, you know, actually commissioned a painting for. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then the Cubs had reached out to me in 2017 and they were like, you know, for our bricks and Ivy ball, would you mind doing, um, you know, a, a painting of, you know, whatever you think about the Cubs world series. So I was like, yeah, of course. So, you know, my wife and I were in our, um, place in Arizona during spring training and I'm, you know, trying to grind to make the team. And you know, on the other side, I'm like, you know, painting as well, but you know, to me, painting is a stress reliever. So it was actually, uh, it actually helped out more than it hurt. Um, so I painted that and that, I don't know if you guys remember that raise, I think it was 35 or 40 grand. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that was one of the coolest things ever. And, and when that happened, I was like, you know, I know everybody's raising money for the Cubs and, and the charity and stuff, but, you know, maybe I can can use this to start raising money for myself and, and maybe kind of make this a side hustle for myself as well. And, you know, that's that's what I started doing. And um, I don't know who it was that reached out to me about doing uh, a painting for Ricketts. So I did the painting for Ricketts, and I think it's hanging up in his, uh, his suite, you know, right now, actually. Um, so once I did that, you know, I obviously asked for permission to make some prints to raise some money for my charity as well. And, and, uh, that's what we did. And I've always kind of, you know, did some prints here and there, did some paintings here and there, you know, I, I do enough so that it's fun, but not enough so that it's work, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. And by the way, um, Matt's website, it's mattcesarart.com, but make sure you spell Caesar correctly. It's S Z C Z U R. And, uh, Man, there's some great stuff here. Uh, Gandhi and Al Pacino and MLK, Bruce Lee, Christopher Walken. So, uh, what inspires you to pick uh, the 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 subjects for the for the art? Uh, honestly, it's just research. You know, it's what uh, what what people like, and you know, I try and uh, mimic that a little bit. But you know, those are those are guys that I've I've watched as a kid. You know, watched at movies, and they're all they're all pretty much famous people, and. You know, it's it's just a lot of fun to bring those those images to life, you know, and it's like I said, it's it's very therapeutic for me. It's a, a stress reliever. So, I, you know, I have a lot of fun doing it. What uh, how long does it take to do one? Matt? Uh, I would say, you know, from start to finish, because um, because what I use is stencils. So I cut the stencils out and then spray paint the stencils. But, you know, to spray paint an image probably takes me a day or two. But 
the, the long part is cutting the stencil out. You know, I got to find an easier way to do that. Um, you know, I, I draw it out on the, on the paper, cut it out with an exacto knife and then spray the stencil. So I would say from start to finish, probably two weeks. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, there was an artist in my hometown and I asked him once, uh, you know, he did a lot of watercolors and oil paintings and whatnot. And I, I asked him, I was admiring one of his paintings one day and I said, how long does this take? And he said, uh, 30 years and 20 minutes. So you know, he could he could sit down and bang one out in like yeah. twenty, but it, you know he's been doing it for his whole life, basically. Is right. what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And and for Bears fans out there, uh, if you want a Nick Foles as an eagle, uh, original painting by Matt Caesar, go to his website. Uh, that's it's a pretty pretty cool one. So uh, I would imagine with some of the sports ones that you've done, have you reached out to some of the subjects and offered them? Uh, a painting. You know what? So I feel like, um, that's, that's what I think I'll get into when I'm done. Um, I actually teamed up with Fergie Jenkins. We're, we're about to release a, uh, signed prints here. And, um, I would say two or three days. Uh, we just had it. I got licensing, you know, I don't, I try not to do any, any prints, um, which are remakes right. of the original painting, unless I, you know, get complete approval from, you know, MLB or, um, the player as well. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, he had reached out to me about doing something about it. And I, you know, obviously I was completely on board cause I love Fergie when I was with, with the Cubs and, uh, you know, I had a print or had a painted, uh, sent it to him. He loved it. And it's just, it's just taken like two or three months to get the approvals, which, you know, has been a pain. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I, I get it completely. So hopefully within the next couple of days, we're going to release one and, and, have people be able to get them for Christmas. That's, that's the plan. And you mentioned your, your buddy, Jason Hayward earlier, who, uh, by the way, had uh, his best year as a Cub this year. Uh, just, I mean, had almost a perfect season. He did everything. He was a Cubs best offensive player. We know about his gold glove defense and uh, a team leader as well. And uh, he purchased a print uh, this year, correct? And tell us about that. Yeah, so he uh, he actually bought a, one of our paintings. Um, I don't know if you remember the name Michael Johnson. He was mm-hmm. a player. I think he played for Dodgers for a little bit, Tampa for a little bit. Um, I think he was with the Padres. Uh, you know, he kind of floated around. Great player. He had reached out to me um, when you know all the kind of George Floyd things were happening, and wanted to see if if I would do a collaboration with him. And you know, obviously, I would. I I love you know sports players whatever um he was another baseball player and i just thought the collaboration would be would be awesome so once we uh kind of figured out what we we're gonna do um we decided to like you know paint one i painted one side he painted the other side and we we're gonna sell it for charity and 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 you know jason was literally the he you know he saw uh a piece of it and he was like hey you know i, I want to buy that so before it was even finished you know he he uh had purchased it and you know there's, I don't have enough nice things to say about Jason Hayward. That, that, that guy is just, you know, unbelievable. Um, you know, he's one of the best out there as, as far as, you know, any kind of human you can think of, you know, baseball player, um, just, just, uh, an awesome, awesome guy, man. He's one of the best. I totally agree. And, um, back to a baseball here for a second, just, um, Looking at some quotes, this is from your uh, former manager, Jill Madden, on uh, Matt Caesar. And I don't remember the year, but probably 2016. Quote, he's starting to bring his game here that he had brought in the minor leagues. He gives us a lot of energy. He's very versatile in the outfield. He's got power. He can run the bases, steal a bag. He's a really nice piece to have, and he's a great teammate. The guys love him. Joe sounds like your agent. It's great. <laughs> no, I feel like one one thing that I always tried to be was a good teammate. Yeah, you know, I always kind of, you know, kept my head down and just worked hard, and I feel like that's got me a long way. How about Joe? Uh, and you have a connection with Joe in terms of, uh, you know, he's from uh, just north of Philadelphia, and uh, you got to have a, a good Joe story for us. Um, I don't know if it's a good story. He he uh, he made a bet. <laughs> he, went, he went to Lafayette, he went to Lafayette and you know obviously I went to Villanova and and they played played each other in the 
the tournament and he, you know, made a bet that Lafayette was going to beat Nova. And I'm like, man, you really want to take that bet? <laughs> and uh, he's like, all right, let's just put a small wager on it. So we just did a bottle of wine. And, you know, I think before the game, he had a bottle of wine for me already. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, so that's, you know, that's my Joe story. Joe's great. You know, he always kind of, he, he was definitely a player's manager. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Joe. He's, he's taught me a lot. I, you know, I still have a lot of his notes that, you know, he was always was writing down and, and kind of passing them out. Um, Cause they're not only baseball notes, it's, it's their life notes too. And that's, that's what I liked about Joe. You know, he kind of allowed the players to police themselves and, you know, we had Rossi. So like I said, he was that missing piece. Um, but, you know, he's, you know, Joe's great. I actually did a painting for, um, for Rizzo and his, his foundation this year. They wanted something. I guess uh, Mr. Rizzo reached out and he, he signed, um, Joe signed a painting for or, uh, a picture for them and they were going to auction it off. And, you know, Mr. Riz said if I could make it into a painting and he sent me a bunch of images and I was like, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to paint on the portrait that Joe signed. So I'll, I'll do a, another painting for you. I don't have it up anywhere. I didn't post it anywhere because I didn't, you know, really want to sh uh, showcase it too much. But, you know, I did that and and I think Mr. Rizzo had him sign it and they uh, they sold it for for charity. So it was, that was pretty cool. You know, Joe's, Joe's been, always been great with charity. So That's awesome. Oh, by the way, you mentioned Tommy LaStella. Uh, I was listening to, uh, I think it was game three, right, of the wild card round when he got the uh, catcher's interference and that led really to the A's winning that series. And uh, the A's broadcasters just kind of said, oh, it's catcher's interference, and he went down to first, and they didn't really follow up on it. I'm I'm frantically texting Ken Korak, their radio announcer. I said, this is like the 20th catcher's interference of Tommy's career. He's so good at it. Uh, yeah. He's one of those guys, man, who can almost do it on purpose when he needs to reach base. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, uh, he just lets the ball travel, I guess. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, it's funny when you when you mentioned that he had asked you to do a painting. That's what I was wondering: was, was it an action shot of him inducing a catcher's interference? That would <laughs> hang that one on the wall. Yeah, he had me paint uh, a picture. I think it was it was Jesus, Gandhi, and uh, Buddha all together. And he always he would always make fun of me. He always sent me a picture, and he's like, "Man, I got the best doormat I could I could find." And he would send me a picture of my painting. <laughs> Yeah, he, awesome. he's, he's another uh, really thoughtful guy. I remember one day in Kansas City walking around uh, and I went into a bookstore and Tommy was sitting on the curb out front of the bookstore chatting with a homeless guy. And I was in the bookstore for about 90 minutes. And when I came out, Tommy was still sitting on the curb chatting with yeah. the homeless guy. It was just, yeah, it was really, really a, a, a nice piece of humanity, uh, for lack of a, you know, a better phrase. Matt, we really appreciate the time. This uh, hour went by very quickly. Um, but again, I mentioned your website. Is there anything else you wanted to mention if people uh, can want to find you uh, on the internet and elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you, if they go to my website as well, they can uh, join the Bowmeyer Registry, like I said. Um, you know, it's super simple now, and you have the opportunity to save a life. Um, they, they mail you, uh, a bone marrow swab kit. You swab the corner of your mouth with, um, four separate, uh, they're like Q-tips, long Q-tips, and then you send it back. And, and I feel like right now this pandemic's going on, you know, people are still dying of cancer. So, you know, if, if people can just kind of help out like that, um, that'd be great. You can, you can go to mattcesarart.com to find the registry, or you can go to seasonday.com to find the registry. And, and it's all there. All you do is click to join the registry and it brings you to the Be The Match website. And, uh, you know, you plug in your, your address and they can ship you out a kit. That is fantastic. Uh, we encourage everybody to do that. And of all the great things you've done in your life, Matt, uh, I have to believe you have family members who are happy that you're famous because people around them can say your last name correctly. <laughs> Although I'm sure you still uh, run into people who go, Mr. Zer, and you're like, eh, no, it's Caesar. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know what? I don't even correct them anymore. I just, I just go about my business. <laughs> Thanks for the time, Matt. We appreciate it, and uh, best of luck. We'll see you back in the big leagues next year, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.
That was a fun conversation with Matt Caesar and uh, JD. I I didn't want to ask Matt about you know his post playing career if he wants to stay uh, in the game. You you would like to think he will, um, but he still wants to 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 play as long as he can, obviously. But he's got a lot of options outside of the game once he's done. Yeah, he's obviously a very sharp guy, a very talented guy. Um, and it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on him going forward to see what he does in, inside of baseball or out. Um, you know, if you did the Venn diagram thing and you tried to create a Venn diagram and you showed um, the universe of people who have won a national championship in football, a World Series ring, and saved a life, there's not a lot of people in that little part of the Venn diagram. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean uh, you talk to a kid who's, what, 30 years old, and you go, man, I haven't accomplished a whole lot in my life. I mean, it's pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah, maybe a club of one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, so we haven't uh, done the podcast for a while, and uh, probably about 15 things we could dive into, but I'm going to pick three, and if there's anything else on your mind, uh, let me let me have it, but we'll do lightning round. Uh, the Dodgers win the World Series, their first since 1988. Uh, the big kind of baseball takeaway from that series was the Kevin Cash decision to take Blake Snell uh, out of the game when he was dealing. Uh, good for baseball, bad for baseball, good move, bad move. What do you think? Uh, I, I'm, I'm of the mind, I'm, I'm, I'm bad move. I think it might ultimately be good for baseball because people might um, – Back off a little bit, the, the, you know the the notion of, of pitchers got to come out third time through the order. Um, so we'll see. I mean, maybe starting pitchers may stay in the game a little bit longer. I, probably not likely, um, but but I'm hopeful that, that that's the case. And then secondarily, uh, he took a lot of heat. Man, he really got ripped. Uh, and my question for for all of us, and including myself, is to be honest though, if he if he stayed with Snell and Snell gives it up. Are we not ripping him because he abandoned their philosophy that had worked, that we're right. not going to expose our starting pitcher to the lineup for the third time through? Um, but it, it, again, you know, so you can you can kind of go back and forth, argue both sides of the coin on that one. Um, my, my argument is just, yes, it was the third time through, but it was 73 pitches into his outing. He was dominant. Um, I, I think the, the eyes and the gut would have said, let's stick a little bit longer with this guy. And I think the answer to your question is, it's all about the result. If what he did had worked, he wouldn't have been criticized for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the way it well, works, although, right? although Joe Madden won a World Series and he still gets ripped for, for well, some of his pitching decision. That's true. Yeah. All right, item number two. Tony La Russa, the Hall of Famer, is back. I believe he's the first active Hall of Famer as a manager uh, to be working since like the late 30s, something like that. Um, this is going to be really intriguing uh, to see how it goes with a White Sox club that you could argue is as ta- as talented as any in the league. Yeah, what, what, what a very interesting move by Jerry Reinsdorf. And you have to assume it was a Reinsdorf move, not a Rick Hahn move. Um, it's got a chance to blow up. It's got a chance to be real ugly with that young team and, and you know, most obvious uh, potential conflict would be with Tim Anderson and the bat flipping and, and all of those things. But, you know, Tony LaRusso is a smart guy. Uh, he knows he's been handed an opportunity here that he probably didn't anticipate getting. Um, so we'll see whether he's able to um, change his approach a little bit, be a little bit more flexible. You know, Tony's an old school guy. Um, you know, discipline has always been a big part of the storyline with, with, with LaRusso. So it doesn't, feel like a real good fit um but it might not matter that much because it, it is a really talented team so it's going to create some headlines it's going to be there's going to be drama uh but they may win because of them they may win in spite of them or they might not win at all and the only personal comp i have and it was a mid-season move so it's not quite the same but uh, jack mckeon took over i believe in mid-may of 2003 uh, in Florida with the Marlins. I think Jack was in his mid-70s uh, at that time, and uh, they would go on uh, to win the World Series. So, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. And the last item I have, uh, did you get a free beer from uh, the John Lester offer? I was actually out of town until Sunday. Um, so but you had been all over it, right? Well, I thought it was a great, it was a, a great gesture on his part. I thought it was a lot of fun. 
Um, I don't know if I would have made it down to the lodge or not, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was out for a walk and I was going by. I certainly would. And I'll tell you what, if the Cubs re-sign John, you and I are going to get a beer from John anyway. We're going to ask him to buy us a beer because we didn't take advantage of it this time. Well, I will say this. I have, uh, it's not like I fight people over the, the bill, but uh, John has bought us several beers after games. And uh, it's something that uh, he's a very generous guy. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that happens. Uh, anything baseball wise that we missed that you had top of mind? If not, no big deal. No, no, just, you know, congratulations to the Dodgers. I, I'm very curious to see how history treats their World Series championship in this shortened season. You know, that was a talking point all, all summer. Uh, will it be a legitimate championship? It felt like it, right? It, it felt like they earned it, and they've been the best team in the league for a good while now. Um, so they certainly uh, deserved it, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, but, but I am curious to see years down the road how the uh, 2020 championship is treated by baseball historians. Yep, good point. All right, give me a, a letter, and we'll dive into the uh, baseball dictionary, uh, the third edition Dixon baseball dictionary. Let's go with the E for election day. Yeah, we'll do an easy one. The term is everyday player, and that is a player who appears regularly in the starting lineup. Uh, in the uh, definition of everyday player, there is one particular person who is uh, noted. Any idea? You know how they say, uh, uh, under the word whatever, this yeah. is this person's picture? Yeah. Well, who, I mean, who would be that guy in Major League history? I would say it's going to be Cal Ripken Jr. That is right. Cal, what edition of the Dixon Dictionary you're working with? <laughs> 2001, he said, I've been pretty good during my career at keeping the engine running pretty level. I think that was the key of being an everyday player. Now, I think that that term, we probably should tweak a tad because I think back when you pitched, there probably had to be at least one or two guys on every team that played all 162, so maybe 20 to 30 a year. Now it's like one, two. I mean, everyday player I almost think of as 150 plus, right, not 162, right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The I, you know, there there was always, um, you know, we always appreciate the guy who can grind it out and go out there for 162 games. But I think as the game has evolved, um, managers and teams have gotten to the point where they realize rest, there's value in resting guys. It's probably the case for Ripken, too, in the middle of that streak. Uh, the overall performance probably would have been better had he taken a few days off. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, very few guys are going to play all 162 uh, in, in the modern game, when I, yeah, Billy Dorn, I think he made a mind. I think Billy mm -hmm. played 162 a couple of times, and but you know, maybe some first baseman guys who played positions that weren't quite as taxing. All right, last term, and this may go away if we have computerized strike zones. Uh, expand the strike zone, and uh, I'm quoting here: uh, for an umpire to allow a pitcher to throw successive strikes uh, farther outside. The strike zone, uh, number two, would be for a batter to swing at a pitch outside the strike zone. And one of the uh, examples of the first definition would be Greg Maddox. Uh, Tom Glavin would be another. There were guys who could throw a pitch on the outside corner and then maybe another inch outside and then maybe two inches. And by the seventh inning, four or five inches off the corner, they were getting called strikes. Yeah, and That's had, the point, right? Yeah, if you had Eric Gregg back there or... Frank Pulley or some of those guys who had notoriously wide strike zones, you could really take them for a ride. And, you know, in, in the case of uh, you know, Maddox and Glavin and the, some of the great control pitchers, um, it wasn't like the umpires were giving them strikes. They were kind of stealing strikes um, because they created an illusion, right? So this, this pitch mm -hmm. is called a strike, and then you just go a little bit further. So it's not like the umpire is thinking, hey, that's a Hall of Fame pitcher out there. I'm going to give him that one. The umpire's perception, that's a strike. And those guys were uh, were masters at, at, at kind of creating that illusion. Maybe Javi Lopez was way better at framing way before we started to talk about it. Yeah, and, well, and <laughs> Eddie Perez, right? When Eddie Perez yeah. was Maddox's guy back there. Yeah. Henry Blanco, I think, for a year. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, we'll do it again uh, probably a couple of times a month. 
uh, every other week here during the off season, and uh, we look forward to chatting uh, with some other Cubs personalities. Special thanks to Big Jim Oboykowicz, Shane McGuire, Joe Rios, Matt Romito, Daniel Green, Adam Sobel for Jim Deshays. I'm Len Casper. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. We'll talk to you soon on Open Concessions presented by Toyota.